0: Oh, and welcome to another episode of Frame and Reference. I'm your host, Kenny McMillan, and you're listening to episode 91 with Shea Vanderport, director of uh, season two, episodes six and seven of Harlem. Enjoy. Yeah. You uh you watching anything good recently?
1: Oh, dude, it sucks. I have not really had time to watch anything um unless it's on a plane um as i saw decision to leave on a plane which is not the ideal place to watch it but it was still awesome um and then like uh, i can just pop in a couple episodes of like an anime or something like you're not even on the last of us right now no oh my god i can't i'm trying to block it all out i don't want to hear anything all i just keep hearing about is how amazing it So is i'm just like trying to nod so okay okay I'll, i'll jump on that i'll jump on that i the, the dangerous part is that the discover section of Instagram because yeah you know what I mean like if you're a film Twitter's leave ours okay I'll yeah I'll completely stay off that but it's like you see just one image and you just it doesn't even have to be for a long time it doesn't have to have any context if you're a filmmaker you're like oh god I just I know what happens now damn it. yeah you know so yeah it's tough or not even just a filmmaker just somebody that that Kind of understand the stories, structure, stuff like that. Yeah, I got a, a 15 hour
0: flight to Geneva next week, and so I'm um, so I'm sitting here going like, man, I haven't been out of the country in 15 years. So all my flights have been, you know, one one to four hours. So usually yeah. I just take a nap. You know, I'm pretty good at that. You know, window above the wing, head down, out, oh, gone. You know, and so now. You, i sit here thinking like how what what do i download onto the ipad like what am i supposed to watch oh i guess they have the screen built into the back of the i didn't even
1: think about that mm -hmm. they usually have the screen sometimes it doesn't work and that's not cool (laughs) (laughs) like oh i'm on this did you say 15 hours yeah yeah and it's like oh shit i don't have anything to
0: do now yeah you know what what i did do is i bought uh this is this is in the legal gray area of life, but uh, this company Anbernic makes these Game Boy looking things, okay. and uh, but it's just a Linux computer, and oh. so you so I've got like a few thousand ROMs on this Game Boy, and so it's like all the Pokemon, all the Metal Slugs, all the NES games, all the SNES games, all the way up to PlayStation, the first one. Oh my god! That's so, I'm, so I'm sitting here going like I can at least kill eight hours banging through like Pokemon Emerald or you know, yeah, the first metal
1: gear uh, metal uh metal gear solid or something like that. Oh my god, that's incredible. Yeah, that was one of the best uh experiences I had playing a game was we were filming with this music nonprofit. Uh and we were it was just me and my buddy and and we were just filming like uh interviews and stuff and kind of documenting what we're doing in it was like paris to germany uh, somewhere in germany finkelsbiel germany and breath of the wild had just come out and the switch and i happened to land one in paris and it was just like oh we're taking a bus to germany so i played that thing the entire time and then on the plane all the way back and it was the quickest you know 12 hours 11 hours that I had ever experienced because I was so engrossed in this game. And it was the first time, you know, playing on a screen that was like that big. Right. Um, You know, kind of just, it was weird being in like a vessel traveling, playing in this world. (laughs) I don't know. It was just pretty cool. So hopefully you have that same experience. Yeah. Breath of the Wild is a great uh,
0: game to kill time on too. Because that thing goes, any Zelda game. That's gonna yeah. be a hard one to turn into a fucking mini series. Like which game do you play? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, which man. game do you try to turn? I don't know. That's probably awkward enough time. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's gotta be that. That's a Were that's that's the one.
0: Yeah, that's gotta be the one that and you could season two could be Mature's Mask. Were you a big
1: gamer growing up? Growing, growing up, up yeah. music and, and film. You know, growing up I was a big gamer. Uh, you know, just like nintendo stuff mostly um uh you know mario all that it always the mario zelda is like i have to play those because it's like such a big part of growing up and and it's also i feel like because a lot of those early nintendo games they feel like they established like the foundation of what games were going to be so like if you just are good at mario you're pretty much be good at any platformer like front (laughs) then until eternity kind of thing because sometimes i'll pick up games and like my niece or my nephew or somebody will be like how are you so good at this already like you just played it i'm like because dude i played Mario. <laughs> yeah yeah it's just it, it's the bones you know um but yeah yeah all that street fighter uh is a big one uh my license plate says hadouken uh, so a lot of people know when i'm at a right. or or wherever yeah so yeah, those were the big ones. I mean, just that, and uh, it it actually played a part when I was trying to figure out like professionally what I wanted to do. It's like I knew I didn't want to program games or anything like that, but I was like, I like I like operating a camera. I like video games. What can I do? And I sort of found my way into this uh, video game media site uh, IGN. They like cover yeah. video games and stuff. Yeah. And it was really, uh, kind of a dream job, you know, like I, I, uh, already got into film. I was like just freelancing, doing whatever I could. And then <clears throat> found my way to them, uh, doing, it was like, I think it was like a true blood red carpet thing. And I was just filming all the people doing interviews and it was crazy because one of the years I did comic and I think it paid like, I think it was like 500 bucks. But they were like, oh, you have to have this kind of light. And the light was 500 bucks. And I was like, it was like my first first gig. And I'm like, oh, I guess I'm not getting paid. But that's all. It's okay. I got this. Like, you know, this is what I want to do. And those were the early, early days, you know, of like the DSLR stuff. And um, it it was crazy because I was was, uh, trying to make a new reel. Found um, this file of like my old, old stuff. And it was one of those kind of red, uh, it was at like the step and repeat lines, right? But it was the year, I don't know what year it was, but it was like Twilight. So I had the whole cast of Twilight, uh, <laughs> Loop, Looper. So I had freaking like Riot Johnson and Joseph um, like Levitt. 0910 then, somewhere around there. That sounds right. That sounds right. Yeah, that sounds right. So yeah, around then. And it was like, it was crazy because it was, it, it was every big film like, um, I think, uh, what was that movie with the, the kaiju movie that, um, Pacific Rim, Del, Del Toro, Pacific Rim. Yeah. I saw the cast and like director. It was just, it was crazy. Cause I, going back, I'm like, man, that's a, that's a journey, you know, like being the guy on the carpet, like just holding the camera. Uh, but yeah, that was a long way to get to. Yes. I was a gamer and like, that was kind of my dream job for a while and. Um, I was gigging and, and thought I would do it full time until, uh, I realized I, I really wanted to do more narrative stuff. And I felt like if I locked myself into that kind of job that I wouldn't be able to find the time to do it because whatever I'm doing, I, I really want to dedicate myself to that, you know, and not be splitting and having the work be affected, uh, because of it.
0: That's, that's literally, uh, kind of the the terms I had to come to this, this year was like, all right, I've been doing plenty of corporate work, but, Mm uh, you know, you get a taste of narrative stuff and you're like, I'd rather be doing that all the time, but those jobs are a lot
1: harder to get than the corporate shit comes all the time. Oh my God, they are. You know, I, I think the cool thing and, and you know, have you found this is when I finally realized for the longest time, I was like, what do you guys want to, what do you want to do on the corporate stuff? you know, and I just kind of decided like, all right, what if I just kind of told them what I, what I think they should do, like, and, and here's a good idea. And always shifted toward the narrative shifted towards something that could help me be a better filmmaker, whether it be, uh, like film or television or short film, anything like that. Um, and I, I found that once I did that, it was so much more rewarding, and I mm. also gained a bunch of new skills all of a sudden. Um, did you have that like kind of experience, or have you ever? Uh, yeah,
0: I, I think the clients that I've had luckily haven't been too like. I've had a few super corporate clients where they mm-hmm. they hired me to execute a function, uh, yeah. but but I think luckily the way that I positioned myself early on. They were kind of like, well, you're the creative, you tell it, like, they'll have a framework and then I'll punch it out, which, um, yeah, especially nowadays, I, I am doing a lot more like, hey, I know you guys want to do this interview, but what if we, <laughs> the whole thing, do it in voiceover and we like film, you know, this important part, you know, it's, oh, dude, the worst right now that I, I have no control over is everyone, when you're like, all right, we're doing an interview, separate from what I just said, we're doing an interview, Um, do, can, can you send me some photos of, the office, like, so I can get a good idea of like where the windows are, what a good background would be, whatever. And then they always send you a photo of their conference room because in their head, that's where interviews happen. Conversations happen in the conference room and they're like, that's the only place we can clear out. And you're like, mother, it's like they're in bathrooms for narratives, like having to (laughs) like do it, doing a narrative in a bathroom is the
1: worst. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh, bathrooms. (laughs)
0: <laughs> there needs to be an entire film school, like a class in college, just on lighting
1: a bathroom. Because one That's whole right. angle is dead because of the mirror. Yeah, I know. The, that whole thing's gone and then you're always in a corner. And you're just trying to get that separation from the background somehow, you know, or something. I don't know. Just trying to make it interesting. But yeah, bathrooms are are very tough. Uh, There's a web series I worked on where we got kicked out of our location. It was like this bar a restaurant type thing and there was a square dance class that was coming into the space we were filming and we're like we just have one more scene in the bathroom we just use the bathroom They're like no you guys have been here you got to get out of here so we i mean we didn't have money like we were just making this on our own right and so someone went to the mcdonald's across the street and i was like mcdonald's is not gonna let us use their <laughs> bathroom are you serious and uh and they did <laughs> they're like they're like dude they're cool they let us do it and i was like not very professional but
0: i'll take it someone somewhere slipped somebody up up 50 <laughs> the the manager at the mcdonald's hey i'll give you 50 bucks if we can go <laughs> better than doing heroin in the fucking bathroom at mcdonald's like half yeah. of mcdonald's uh I, d- I did read somewhere uh going back to something you said earlier about like having to buy the light i had read that early on it was especially I think I guess when you were working on Awkward Black Girl that you were just using all of your income to buy yeah. new equipment to like keep funding and get better. Oh yeah, um, man. And so I've done the same thing in my not not so much anymore because now I actually have money that goes past what shit costs. But uh I was wondering if you would still do that today. If you would st- or if you would follow the traditional advice of stop doing that rent when you need it happen you know
1: I, I have a renting problem i just don't like doing it um because i think the way my brain works is like if i were to rent this a couple of times i could own it and i think it just comes from sort of the diy like indie spirit of it all just like hey let's just use what we have um you know especially during Opera black girl i just had my camera and like a ring light you know and then i remember showing up and know and i was kind of like okay where's the crew and stuff and it was just me and i'm like oh it's it's like we're doing we're doing it like this okay right which was cool because it's like i that's how i've done it so i just didn't know at first you know and so we all were just trying to get it done um you know i yeah i just can't do the renting thing it's funny you say that because i i was just in new york and i went to H. Um and I went to the used department and I got this like Leica lens. <laughs> yeah. Oh, That's a nice one. Yeah, it's like a like a arm. Nice. Uh, yeah, the one for, And it was crazy because it was like pretty good price-wise. And then they're like, Oh yeah, I'll ask my manager if we can give you a deal. And I was like, Oh, you already it's already a deal. Like, thank you. Um, so yeah, I would definitely uh stick to the purchasing because I'm, I'm one of those guys that it's like the annoying guy that always has his gear with him. like wherever he goes the restaurant. Yeah. It's like, it's like, I'm testing, I'm doing tests, I'm doing tests and people are like, Oh my God. Um, it, it just, it, there's something about that ownership, you know, increasingly in where we're just always renting everything, like our subscriptions to our services and, and, sure. you know, there's even like car rental, new, new kinds of, uh, methods of like renting cars now where it's like, instead of owning it, you just rent from a company, which could work out. I don't know. That's a whole other, uh, subject, but there's something about owning it and it being yours. Almost like when I played music, it's like, you have your guitar. Like, oh, this is guitar, you know, and you kind of form a relationship with it because it's an extension of you. And that's how I feel about the cameras, you know, and I like to have it there and when I'm renting it, it's like, it's super cool because it's something you can't afford to own. But then I think of all the money that's going into it and it's always that balance of, okay, where is this going to land? It's going to be on the internet. What is the cost versus the quality kind of thing? Like, is it good enough? So, um, yeah, I always stick to it. Like the first time I always wanted you know, a higher end cinema camera, but it was like, yeah, right. You know, for the longest time. And then once the Komodo came out, it was like, oh, like, or the, you yeah, know the black magic, even before that, it was like, oh, wow. Okay, cool. This is pretty approachable. And then, um, with the Komodo, that was the first like red I bought. Cause it wasn't past that threshold. And I think also because I think I knew deep down, like I like to shoot. But that's not my my final goal. Like it was always to be a director, and it was like, how much am I going to spend? You know, because mm-hmm. I really I admire those people that that buy the big the big boys, you know, and they're like, all right, <laughs> here we go. Like my life is on this. That's cool. I, I love that because they know that's what they're going to do. And I I wasn't sure, and I also knew that ultimately I did want to direct, and and having a bunch of gear was like. You know what? What happens to it after? You know, if I'm a, if I hit a good, kind of a good wave of directing uh, a number of shows.
0: Yeah, I uh the way I think because I bought like a C500 Mark II when it came out, and uh, oh, yeah. and so that's been good because it's like, in my opinion, that thing is the ultimate Swiss Army knife of cameras. You know, it's got full frame, it's got raw, it's got compressed, it can crop in, it can. You know, tons of EF lenses, PL mount, the whole thing. But I wouldn't. I can't see myself buying a quote-unquote better camera than that. Like I've interviewed people who are like, "Yeah, yeah I just bought a Venice too," and I'm like, "What? <laughs> Whoa,
1: okay."
0: Like Great. that's yeah, yeah. either you're getting obviously. I I can't imagine they bought it outright unless they've got rich grandparents or something. But like yeah. that it, that type of person, I assume, is renting that thing out. Like I would buy a Venice to just park at a rental house if I just wanted constant side income, you know, yeah. but um, yeah. yeah, there's definitely a threshold for my like purchasing of your
1: lights. I tend to buy just what I need, you know, that's like the last thing people buy. I'm always so baffled. I'm like, you have this amazing camera, but then you like don't have any lights. <laughs> it's crazy um, lights and lenses too. Sometimes they don't buy lenses and I'm you like, know. Um, you know, the, the cool thing about, those two things is like they're not the cameras are all gonna just decrease in value so quickly. Um and the you know, lights like the I mean shit, like the first lights I bought still look great. You know? Uh yeah. maybe not my ring light. I think that thing died. But <laughs> uh yeah, 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 yeah. I I think that's an amazing choice. And like does that have there's always such little things too. Like does that have built in NDs? The C500 has That's 10 true. stops of ND. Oh, shit. Wow. Dude, I, yeah. and
0: I used it because I literally on a gig yeah. a couple, like two weeks ago, I was shooting in the desert. So it's very bright. Oh, shit. Yeah, and I had yeah. rays on there. Speaking of lenses, Sumerays oh, cool. are fucking gorgeous. Uh, yeah. Wide open. So T1.3. Oh, shit. I was, I was at eight to 10 <laughs> stops at all times. Oh, my God. I got to see this. I gotta I'll send. will s- I'll send you some. Uh, some screenshots from my. I'm still grading it, but. Uh, I'll send you some screen caps. They look
1: oh very nice. <laughs> that's sick. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, there's so many, minute details when you're filming, and it's it's easy to ju- to kind of rely on the equipment. Uh, equipment, jump into it, and then realize like, oh shit, like I don't have any NDS. Like,
0: oh, I, so I can't realize. do black magic. The image is yeah. great, but I need yeah. those NDS
1: yeah 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 and and it's whatever works for you and your needs it's like it it's it's kind of like when people ask me like oh what's the best camera what's the best phone what's the best i'm like seriously we're in an age where like honestly just get any of them are amazing but you have to know what's going to work for you and and you're so right with that swiss army thing it's like because you probably just have that body you know and, and whatever like little attachments and stuff uh and accessories but I'm thinking about all the other stuff that I'm packing, even on a small shoot. It's like, oh, shit, I have my square filters, this ND, that ND, this ND, that ND, you know, and it's just it's so much crap, and it's really nice to have it all in that system. Um, And I remember going to the Hollywood unveiling of, like, the C-series, the Canon C-series. Oh, when the 300 (laughs) came out? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and it was funny because we were so fresh off the 5 d that's all we had used. And so when Canada announced that, we're like, all right, cool. It's gonna be affordable. And then I remember the base were like, oh, that's not affordable for us. <laughs> you know, kind of be fair like, but it's still it's still sweet. It was like you know? 13 grand, wasn't it? Something like I that. I think so. Yeah, it really blew our minds because we thought it would be more in the range. I don't think we thought it was gonna be 5D range, but we thought it was gonna be more like standard camcorder around that time. I wanna say it was like four grand-ish, like the Panasonic stuff. I can't even remember right. the name. I uh, still have an AF100 in my uh Oh my launch.
0: god, dude. That's the workhorse right there. I, I just brought it out. It's still, it looks, still looks pretty decent. It's not too bad. A little crunchy in the highlights, but... That's cool. That's, okay. I'm glad it still works and all that. That's cool. I haven't yeah. sold. I was just talking to a guy on Twitter, Eric Nasso. Um, and uh yeah, I still own every camera I've ever bought. Uh, but I've, I've only bought like 10, including photo bodies, I've only bought like 10 cameras in my life, so.
1: Okay. Yeah, I usually try to sell them for super cheap to someone in my family. Like luckily my brothers uh, do some film stuff too. Like they're also filmmakers and um, it's like, I, I can't let it go. Like I don't, I want to hold on to it, you know? So I'm like, hey, can you buy this for super cheap? And they're like, yeah, I'll take it. So like we all get the benefit, you know. I don't, I don't lose it, you know. Yeah. Just say bye forever. So many memories too, you know. It's like it's hard for me. I get really uh, sentimental about like the memories attached to the camera. So if it, if you just sell it off, it's kind of like damn. It's, it uh,
0: I think your analogy to guitars is like actually perfect. Mm-hmm. I uh, I I gave my friend my my old Nikon D ninety because i had bought an xt3 that's how that's how far apart uh i buy cameras um bought an xt3 and i was like you know what she's trying to get into photography here's my d90 it's not great but it'll get you somewhere it's better than you know whatever point you choosing. and then i saw very quickly after that she bought a more modern camera and i was like oh whatever and my friend chase was like dude you got to get that thing back and i was like why And he goes, dude, you shot everything you were. I worked at Red Bull for eight years. He's like, you shot everything you ever shot there, everything you shot in college and a little bit of high school, like go fucking get that back. And so I was like, (laughs) and I did get it back. It's like covered in gaff tape. It's all jacked up. But uh, it did. It did occur to me. I was like, I didn't think I was going to be sentimental about that piece of junk. But like I am, I still have my XL2. Same thing. It's like,
1: I don't need this, but I want to frame it, you know? (laughs) you have to man i mean that's that's when everything's gone that's all we got you know it's it's cool see actually shit you're reminding me i think i think my friend nick has my 5 D that i let him use and then he upgraded i gotta get that Nick, get it back dude give me my camera back i did all the awkward black girl stuff on that so
0: i gotta get that back and that yeah that's a that's OG good too. All the stuff I made, no one's gonna see. Opera Blackgirl uh, launched launched careers. Hey, you never know. You never know. Plus, the five D Mark II is like, that's
1: that's a that's a Hall of Fame camera. Man, it changed it changed my life. You know, it it uh, it, it really gave access to everybody. And then I think that was something that was so hard, like the barrier, uh, like for entry, just. To be a filmmaker it's crazy the times we're at now it's like I see these kids and they're making stuff I'm like damn like slow down <laughs> you know like yeah. to get a good image like that back in the day was like impossible you know and the guy I started with um, my buddy Steve it's like you know we were doing stuff you know we we're like best friends we we're like making films with all our friends and that's all we did with all our time. Um, and we look back on it, we're like, man, if we had the stuff that these, that these kids have now, it's like, it would be a whole other like world for us, you know? Cause we, well, him specifically at that time, like, I didn't really know much about film. I was just kind of having fun, but he looking back now, I was like, he, I was like, dude, how did you have it figured out back then? Like, you knew how to shoot stuff. There was intention. The camera movements were like, they would be flashing stuff, but they'd make sense. And, and, but like, all our stuff is like 480, really? you know, it's like grainy, but yeah, all of it, it's just so limited by the technology. So it's like,
0: nothing was in 24P. Everything was 30. No,
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, it, you, I get a little sad about it. Like, man, if we just had what we had now or have now, it, it it would kind of like stand the test of the time which is tough like it sort of does but you it's like it's at that point where it just looks like digital uh like aged digital imagery, right you know um which is kind of kind of a bummer um but yeah 5D man well, I, do, I do find cuz
0: i've either talked about or think about this often but it's like did if we had you know a C300 in when we were younger and and also i think the pace of new cameras coming out and how good they all look if we were in that position would we as i've seen online get distracted by the shiny toy because i think the thing that made certain um early internet let's say web series or videos anything like that good is that because there was such a large barrier to entry you tried a lot harder you knew you had to come correct, yeah. you know, at the attempt that maybe someone would give you a roll of sixteen after seeing this, and
1: you could make something cool, you know. Dude, oh my god, my first short was um, a game. No, yeah, I, uh, I
0: would definitely get distracted <sighs> for sure. I came in, I came into filmmaking from a tech side before I came before I came around to, like cinema.
1: I agree. Oh, let take a sip real quick. There, oh. pop. Yeah, no, noise um no i i totally agree um i think that i would get distracted and i would definitely be diving into the tech a lot like oh what could this camera do what are the possibilities um oh this will then allow us always validating a way for me to buy a new camera somehow or like you know trade in the one that i have i i think it would be a distraction um for sure. Like I would be distracted because I did that throughout the whole like 5D era. um, All the Sony stuff. They said it like once they started doing. Oh, the I thought you were going to say like the F3s. No, the A7S. The F3 is cool too. I haven't had too much of a chance to play with it, but um, just that whole like low light craziness that Sony introduced. And it was always like every time they announced something i'm diving in oh we could do this oh we could shoot high speed and low light oh my god you know and, and i'm just hours focused on that getting distracted ultimately and this kind of goes back to what you were saying about the rent versus own um what i realized was i can't compete financially at all with any of these people you know like i've got insane uh because because my film stuff started right about the time um that we had like started to buy a house we lost it um I had like insane student debt um student loan debt all this stuff and it was like well I can't compete financially there's just no way um I can't buy this expensive stuff so what I'll trust is sort of my brain I guess my ideas the thing that you can't really buy like you can't buy ideas so much uh in terms of like creativity uh and you can't buy hard work really Right, or, or like you cannot work people you can like out idea them and that was kind of like all right i'm going to bank on that because i don't have the finances to support like what i'm trying to do here in terms of equipment so <clears throat> i think owning the stuff was really helpful because if i could just understand this piece of equipment so well, uh, that I could just get the best image out of it. Um, that was one thing. And, um, I think banking on like your ideas and kind of your brain power versus the equipment is good. And so, um, just going back to what we said, I think that like, Owning it is definitely the way to go. You know, yeah. um, I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, depending on where you're to land. Well, and especially like the
0: way I've always looked at it is I will be sitting there, um, you know, bored or or maybe inspired by something, or just want to test something out. And it is nice to grab the tool you will ultimately use and test that thing. You know, all, yeah, I've got all my equipment is in this walk-in closet in, this, in my office here, and yeah, it's just every once in a while, I'm like, oh, you know what? And then I'll just go grab it and start playing around and um, test new lighting. And, you know, it's 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 nice to have all that stuff and, and know your tools uh, intimately. The thing that I've always um, quoted was uh, Adam Savage from the Mythbusters, who said uh, the way that he buys new tools, and he's referring to like tool tools, you know, hammers, whatever, um, is to buy the cheapest one you can that serves the purpose. And then once you figure out what it gives you, it doesn't give you to buy the best one you can afford. And I think that's the best way to go about getting anything. If you like, I'll tell this to kids on Reddit all the time, like whenever, Hey, can someone recommend something like literally the cheapest one that you think looks interesting, get that first. And then once you know what you need, you'll know which one to upgrade to. Cause everyone always goes, Oh, I got a thousand dollars. What should I get? And I'm like, first of all, no, nothing is a thousand (laughs) dollars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah
1: it's yeah, Fuji X, XQ2 you know <laughs> yeah I mean it's crazy uh, what I do think also that doing that kind of a byproduct of it is that it makes you better um, yeah. it makes you have to like what I found was that because of the lack of dynamic range the lack of like latitude and all that stuff you, you had to nail it man. I mean like You really had to be on it like you couldn't overexpose or it's it's looking bad you couldn't underexpose or it's getting grainy whatever um and what i found was that a lot of people that were shooting on the higher end cinema cameras when they were given those tools they would just totally kind of up you know like bad i'm like wait a minute but you shot this And you know, when you're new, you don't know the whole process of. Okay, these people are shooting raw. They're bringing it in. Someone's correcting it, and then they're grading it. Just that whole pipeline. I wasn't really aware of it because I had gone to uh, the school I went to. I had finished. I ended up taking film, and then we shot on uh, on sixteen, and we didn't do that process really. We just kind of shot it. okay, cool. Here's my project, you know? Um, and not knowing that it's, it's like, you're thinking like, oh, how, how come, how are they getting that look? You know? And, and then when they're given, I think when the playing field is leveled, that's when it shows like where everyone, what their actual baseline is, where they exist, you know, skill wise. And I found that a lot of people were just shooting on those cameras. Cause they could kind of mess up really and just save it in the end. So, um, I think when people use, like you're saying, the, the, either the cheapest one or the tool that they can afford, just learn that tool, you know? Yeah. And, and also I've noticed that like,
0: it starts to build, even if it's not what you want, it starts to build an aesthetic. You know if you use the same like i shot the first five years of my career i shot everything on the c100 mark ii and the sigma 18-35 to 35. everything cool. so there so there was a very um consistent look to everything that i made because down to the lens right and also what yeah. uh, the the visual language i was using because it was a short zoom you know uh, where i was putting the camera the movements i was making the the amount of coloring you can do in an 8-bit 420 space, you know, having yeah. to nail it, I started building these picture profiles um or a picture profile for that camera that um I ended up selling if anyone wants to buy one. Um uh, but uh it's I've had a bunch of kids come back to me and be like yo that that picture profile breathed new life into my C 100 just because it's um again did it out of necessity. I was like I need this to look better quicker because I was okay. I didn't have resolve at the time. Resolve wasn't uh available. Or it was too expensive, or whatever. I just had very minor adjustments that I could make.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, and that's the thing is a lot of times you don't have time for all all of the uh, the whole process. So that's awesome. Like if you can save people time and and get them to feel like their tool has a new kind of step, you know, and 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 like yeah, breathe new life into it, like you said. I think that's kind of a, that's invaluable, you know um yeah well it gets you excited to shooting it you know new things get everyone
0: excited you know i just got i accidentally overbid on a uh gfx
1: 50r <laughs> over?
0: oh dude i like yeah that was a mistake um but i i mean i ended up paying about the same as they cost used but at the time at first i thought i was getting a deal but yeah. gr- granted i'm poor now but i'm really excited to shoot with this thing <laughs>
1: Oh, I got that. Yeah. Yeah. That's something to be prepared for that. The whole like, oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. ranch. Yeah. What uh, what actually got you because you said you wanted to be a
0: director, but you started kind of as a DP. Was that just a stopgap to directing or, or did DPing kind of inform, oh, I want to be a, DP, or a director?
1: Yeah, I think when I got into it, I sort of was like, let me try my hand at everything and then see where I, I best fit you know, one of my best work is, I think one of the things that I, I really am not a fan of, um, is when people sort of occupy a space and they don't really want to be there. Um, it's just kind of like, why, like, why are you doing that? You know, like, um, someone else wants to be here and w- would be the happiest, like human, of uh, have like after just being in that position. Oh, yes. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, and I get it if it's like you're working your way up, but then, but also like be that position that you are, you know, cause yeah. that was another thing that was cool to learn was like, okay, if I'm editing, I'm editing for the director, like as an, like, I'm not going to try to be a director while I'm the editor, you know, maybe I can bring some ideas that a director would bring respectfully, but it's I, I want to, s- yeah, yeah. I don't want to step out of my lane. And so for me, it was really just a learning process and doing every and working in every position that there was one to find where I, what I wanted to do, but then two, to make me the best of that, that it would be because clearly like, if you're a better, if if, if you're a good editor, but you're a DP, it's going to inform your, your shooting. I've said that a million times. Yeah. And, and, you know, I have run into that a couple of times where um, a DP may say, like, hey, you won't use that or that it doesn't make sense um, kind of chronologically, you know, and how the cut would work. Hmm. But they're thinking very literally, you know, and I, and I would say, no, 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 it, it'll be fine. It can work because we're in film time. When we cut to the other location, we can rewind time by 20 seconds. So whatever happened on this end doesn't have to happen exactly. And then in their head, they're like, wait, that doesn't make sense. But if you were to see it, they'd be like, oh yeah, that, that totally works. So it's, it is hard because when you're on set and you're just kind of running like that, it's hard to take your brain out of that mm-hmm. and and zoom out and and see it from a broader perspective. But um, I f- I think my journey really started as like, I just loved holding a camera. I loved framing. I think that came from my love of like comic books. I wanted to be an illustrator all the way up until I would say college. Um, mm. And then I kind of went to music and then went to film from that. Um, but I think it was uh, just holding the camera operating. I just, I guess it's just like the, the camera nerd in me or something. Just, just like mm-hmm. loving Having your hands on things and controlling it is really cool, uh, so started that um and then that kind of brought me to cinematography um and I think with cinematography, like I really enjoyed it, but I knew i just like there was something down there was like, you know what, like I love this to a degree right because I would learn more information, and usually if i if I'm absolutely in love with something i I never want to stop learning about it or I'll never like. Kind of burn. I'll never like hit that wall, right? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. with cinematography, I was like, yeah, that's cool. Like, oh, IR pollution, what's that? Oh, God. Okay, I'm <laughs> over this. You know, just like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. too much. I don't want to have to know about all this stuff. Stop. Who stops what? Like, we're getting out of count and all that. It's like, can I just look at the monitor? So I knew for me, I, I had to take the responsibility of, look, you love to shoot, but if you're not feeling this new information and you're kind of like over it you're not a dp like just that heart running out um and then with editing uh i moved on to that because i because it was such a diy thing you know it's like i can't just be paying people to edit or finding people to edit for free um so then i learned that and i really love that because you're telling the story you know you're, you're you really realize like if you hang on a shot for a certain amount of time or if you show a certain uh image in sequence move it around it's a different feeling psychologically so um i kind of was just like doing all those jobs and then i realized like man um this is making me a better director that was going to be my next question is like how do all those things
0: because that's people have described uh not that i name drop him every fucking episode but like people have said this about (laughs) david fincher that he like yeah, knows yeah. everyone's job pretty much better than they do so he's able to more efficiently dictate things or know when people aren't giving their not their best necessarily but maybe they they he can push them a little further cuz
1: he knows that they they can actually do that you know cuz he can totally you know what that and that is i think sort of it's something that i probably don't really try to put out publicly but i i try to in my own practice, that's what I'm thinking in my head is like, look, I'm going to just, I could do this better than you. So like, (laughs) you know, you should do it, like do a good job, you know? Um, and I, I, it's just because I respect, I think ultimately what it comes from is I respect the titles so much and I respect the craft so much. I think I just come from a time and place where if you say you're something like, you better you better do it. Like, you better be good at it. You better be, uh, competent. And like, you should be able to show like a palpable, like tangible thing of what you're talking about. Like, if you say you're good at basketball, like you better, better show me that you're good at basketball, even right. though not just, cause there, there's nothing more disappointing and frustrating and irritating hearing about how good someone is or how much they want to do something. And they're just terrible or um, they don't do it at all. I'm sure you've heard that, seen that a million times. Um, I find that just... people people
0: give their titles aspirationally now, you know, yes. which you would never, I, I, I okay. shouldn't say never because I don't know. But like, I can't imagine someone going, oh, I'm a carpenter. And then you go, oh, what, a, you know, show me some stuff you've carpentered. And they're like, oh, I haven't yet.
1: Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 It, it's tough, man. Cause I think you, we want to be respectful, but also like to just kind of endow yourself with the title is, is pretty, pretty crazy. Um, I had the hardest time saying I was a director. It still feels weird. Like if it's like, yeah, I'm a director at eight. Cause I, it's Like, I don't know. I want to, I need to earn it somehow. Like, somebody needs to put a belt on me that's a right or like, you know, like a, it needs to say, I'd be nominated. nominated before your yeah, name, like, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. The queen needs to put some swords on my shoulders or something. Like, I don't know. It's just, it, it feels weird, uh, because you don't ever want to feel like you're, you're putting yourself above anyone or anything like that. Um, and I, I just respect so many people I've met throughout, um, just this journey, I think, you know, like I've, I've been lucky to, um, I shot a documentary for a woman named Anne Gourso and she is a, f- a, director and an editor and she edited, uh, three films for Francis Ford Coppola. And it w- it was so crazy. Cause like I would, I was so nervous to even show her a frame, you know, cause she had worked with so many legendary cinematographers and directors and stuff. And, uh, you know, just to work with someone like that, um, a buddy of mine, uh, John Paul horseman, he cut a bunch of, uh, Andrew Dominic's films and he's done like just such great work. He does all of, uh, like Billy Alice, music videos and stuff. Mm. And I see how hard they work. I see how much they focus on the craft without necessarily talking about it. Um, and I just always respected that, you know, just how much they were about the work um, but I have seen I have seen the negative side of doing the work and not talking about it um, yeah no one knows you did it <laughs> so. well that was something Tyler the creator said where he was
0: like and and it's completely right like people we all feel like shills when we're like hey I made this thing can you look at it because no one wants to that's supposed to be marketing's job why do I have to do it that's not my job yeah. Uh, especially these days, they're like, "Can you post about that on social?" It's like, "No, you do it. I made the fucking thing." Yeah, um, yeah. But uh, Tyler was like, "If if you're not your biggest fan, uh, like who's gonna champion it?" You know. And some yeah, I said a million times, yeah. <laughs> and some I've said a million times is like, you know, your friends won't support you until they see strangers celebrating you. So you have to get past that barrier of your friends. You telling yeah. your friends, oh, I made this thing." They're not. They go. Good for you. No one, mm-mm. my friends have bought more jewelry from my sister, my sister, makes jewelry. my friends have bought more stuff for my sister than they've ever seen my stuff. <laughs> subscribe. None of my friends subscribe to my YouTube. Are you
1: fucking kidding? Come me? on, man. <laughs> Come on, sister. Yeah. Oh my God. That's crazy. You know what? Actually, that's such a cool, um, that's just something that, that is really important. And I think, um, a take like an important takeaway because it sounds like you and I are the same. Where we just want to do the work and like focus on that. And with Tyler saying that, I think I might have seen that. And he was talking about like it was like he had done something, something. Yeah, like he had put out an album, and he's like, it came out a year ago, and I'm still talking about it. And it's like, yeah, yeah, man. I mean, if somebody as successful and creative, and prolific as that is you know, being his biggest cheerleader and he's not too cool to share his stuff and say, hey, check this out. It's like from all of the different perspectives of like, I don't want to share this because I don't want to feel like I'm showing off or I don't want to share this because I just want to do the work. Whatever it is, it's kind of like throw that out and just you have to let people know what you're doing. And I think if you know it comes from an honest place of just being happy to share what you work on, then like, fuck it, you know? Well-
0: yeah, I think too it's like when you're not at a level like I'm sure with like something like Harlem, it's easier to say, look, I made this thing for Netflix. Yeah. You know, versus, hey, I made this short that's on YouTube. Which makes which I feel like, if I were to be perfectly honest, probably feels more like um admitting that you're an amateur or admitting that you're not successful yet okay but yes telling yeah. people oh my stuff that i put a lot of work into is only on youtube which of course is bullshit, but it's 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 a real feel- feeling i mean it's the same thing when we're talking about not saying that you're a dp or, or a director or whatever it's like how do you on the other hand how do you tell people that's what you do or want to do like what do you call yourself
1: like directing yeah. training, you know, you know, yeah, no, I don't know, I don't know, yeah, I, yeah, I totally get what you're saying because if you're like, you know, oh hey, I directed this thing on Harlem, or it's like this thing Harlem on like Amazon, right? Versus Is uh, it on Amazon? Uh, did I say Netflix? I fucked up. My bad. I think you <laughs> said Netflix. Well, it's all good. I I figured you were just talking about the bigger streaming services that people. Yeah. That no, I was trying to name the specific one it was on. It's oh, all no, it's Amazon. It's Amazon. Okay, yeah, yeah, it's Amazon. Hopefully Netflix is next. Maybe you're predicting the future. I'll, I'll do a Netflix thing.
0: <laughs> um, hey, there are PR people. Listen to
1: this. I'm friends with Netflix. They, you know. <laughs> hey, <laughs> I, yeah, my <I'm> boy. There <laughs> we go. There we go. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think I totally agree with you. Um, there's like a, a status thing, you know, and it, and I just I think it just depends on the person. Um, and I it's probably just best to uh ignore all that. You know, and just focus on on doing a good job and doing your work because now that I that you're saying that it reminds me of when I we were doing awkward black girl, mm-hmm. and so many people would uh try, you know they would try to find something that, to to knock it down you know like oh it's just on YouTube oh the sound is bad oh it doesn't look that good oh those who don't know this is with Issa Rae <laughs>
0: this yeah, is not yeah, like
1: yeah. some this is yeah this
0: eventually became a thing.
1: Yeah, as awkward black girl, you know, um, starring Issa Rae and and uh, written and produced by Tracy Oliver, did you know Girls Trip at Harlem and Girls Trip Two's coming out. And her new movie, The Blackening, just a trailer came out. I mean, she they're just they're both like these colossal, you know, pillars <laughs> of uh, Talents. Too. creativity, and talent. Yeah, and uh, it, and we all started with no connections, like just let's do web series together. Um, and we didn't have money, you know, we, we were like barely affording anything and we were all gigging on the side, just trying to make money. I was shooting anything and everything that came my way, events, wedding, like conferences, interviews, whatever, you know? Um, and, uh, um, we did have that, it was like a stigma. Like, because now, I mean, even streaming was a stigma back then. Right. You kind of brought me back. Oh, yeah. I, for, I, I forget. Yeah. People like, used to poo poo. Oh, it true. was worse than straight to DVD. Yeah. 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 Which is insane when you think about it now. I mm-hmm. mean, and only in like streaming. 10 years,
0: it, it only took a, yeah. probably less than 10 years for it I to go, less. ew, you're online to yeah. um, like, like, Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog. I think I name-dropped that, like, a couple also, times. Also, yeah. But, like, that was, what, like, 2000? That was the writer's strike. So, that might have been, like, 05, actually. But yeah. even then, people were like, oh, my God, Neil Patrick Harris is doing the internet? This is ridiculous.
1: Yeah. Like, that guy's a magician. He'll fucking... <laughs> he'll do your iPad. Oh, how far he's fallen. He's yeah. on the internet. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're right. I, it, it, there's always these stigmas and these things. And and I just was like, look, if... if here's the crazy part I'm doing TV you know they like studio like Amazon it's also a universal show I just did a Disney thing uh right before that um and man there's no difference (laughs) like it's a bigger crew it's a bigger budget but the craft is the same you know um I kind of always attribute it to like it's it's hard for me not to attribute it to something like a like a fight, I guess, or like, you know, training it's, it's sort of like, you're just getting all these skills and then it's to bring it into this, this sort of fight or battle or whatever. And, um, it's like, you know, whether you're fighting, I guess on a big, in, in a ring, in an arena or an octagon in an arena or like a small local show on, In like in an Indian casino or something, it's like, you're still fighting, you know, it's like, it's not different. Um, there is a bigger stage. There's more lights, there's more funding, but a fight is a fight, you know, and and it's the same thing. It's like, it's not different. Like there, it's actually in a lot of ways easier because you have so much more help, Mm -hmm. you know, like there's so much more help. Um, it's harder in other ways there's a lot of pressure uh a lot of just planning notes. and you kind of notes and things like that and um but it comes with the territory you know and and there's a lot more uh freedom in doing your own stuff and you actually it comes out right away like sometimes there are heartbreaking things uh i was just at a uh a dga meeting and they one of the members said that they shot this entire show uh it was the best work of her career and then they just decided like oh it's not going to air kind of thing and Mm -hmm. it's like dude no way (laughs) and it's like like, why can't they just i'm sure there's a real reason but like why can't
0: they just put that on youtube fuck it like if you're not going to release it for money release it for free
1: yeah i i don't know that i'm still that kind of stuff i'm learning all about you know the whole industry and stuff and it's it's uh a, a different place um but it really is similar just bigger i guess uh, you know well, more things and something too that uh
0: had occurred to me is like when we were talking about oh like the gaffer wants to be a dp or the fucking you know a- oh yeah wants to be a director or whatever or any yeah, yeah you know yeah. is uh when you're talking about um indie versus quote-unquote pro or whatever um i think it's hard for any of us to um not let uh what we want or where we see ourselves or this like idea of oh i i want to be making big budget feature films whatever it may be rob mm-hmm. us of the enjoyment of now like what you're doing now can still be fun don't let yeah the you, what you want that it's not this you know oh i want to be making big films but instead i'm working this corporate thing this sucks it's like well. <laughs> That's where you're at, bro. Just like, enjoy that. Like, enjoy where you're at. 100%. With the the target in mind, but like, don't rob yourself of what you're currently
1: doing. You're going to be miserable perpetually. Perpetually. And I love that you say that because it kind of makes me think of two things. One, it's like, do you really love what you're doing then? Because if you don't, you should get out. You should get out because it's going to hurt, you know, and it's going to, like you said, perpetually, you're going to be upset and it's not good for anyone. Number one, it's not good for that person. It's just, you're going to rot inside and then you're going to like, that's going to spread to the other people around you. and, And why would you do that? You know? Um, and two, it, it reminds me of, um, you, you just don't know what you're doing, like, and how it will, it will benefit you in the future. You know, not that we only do things for benefit, but it's like, I, it makes me think of an immediate, like these things are always full circle. I, I can't express enough how many times it feels like there's this weird cosmic path but with them that I'm following. And this is just one of the recent ones. Uh a few years ago, I was doing uh again for that music nonprofit session, uh, we were doing interviews at this this big studio this old, um where the BGs had recorded like their famous album. And uh <clears throat> so recording this stuff and um i hear like someone goes hey pharrell's next door i was like oh really oh shit you know because he produced our first season of awkward black girl i'm sorry the second season when mm-hmm. we we actually got funding on the second season and so he produced that and gave us and isa a platform to actually be seen be heard get out a little more which eventually led to isa's um uh, HBO show insecure. So it's like a lot was owed to that. And so I always wanted to thank him, but I never got to. Mm. So um I heard he's next door. I'm like, all right, I'm gonna go in there. So I go in and I walk in and no one's no one's stopping me. You know, it's kind of like I was, I wasn't just marching in there, but no one stopped me. So I was like, okay, well, it must be cool. So I walk in and he's just like on the keyboard like this. And like, I think it was Future. I don't know. I was kind of a panic mode. Future was like there and feel like, yeah, yeah, look, they're like in a session, like hard, but like into it in the zone. And I'm i like, oh shit, I shouldn't be in here. And I just kind of like reversed back and like open the door, like that Homer Simpson meme, you know, was like, oh. And then so I went outside and someone was out there and I was like, hey, do you know Pharrell? Yeah. I was like, hey, can you give him, give him this note? And it just said, you know, thank you for giving us um a, a chance you know something like that um believing in the little guy kind of thing and I just said you know uh, uh from the awkward black girl crew. it's just like a little handwritten thing and uh so I don't know if he ever got it whatever years later maybe two three years later I'm interviewing for Harlem and um Mimi Valdez is uh producer business partner and stuff um she's she's there in the interview and I tell her that story and she's like, oh, no way. It's like, look, cause she reminded me, she's like, you know, we, we did Awkward Black Girl for you guys, you know, and I'm like, yeah, I know, but I didn't, you know, I didn't meet you guys. So um, she was like, no way you did that. She goes, I'm going to call him right after this and see if he got it, you know, and so I, I'm, I still have to connect with Mimi and, and see the results of that. But I mean, I got the job. You know, and I, I worked on Arlem and I was with Mimi on set um, during my time there. So it's just, you don't know, like if I were uh, all jaded and upset about the job I was on and wasn't in the right mood or whatever, you know, you don't know what little things can help like get you the job. And sometimes it's just a little connection like that. You know, it's just a little thing like that. I, I'm not saying that that got me the job, but someone having a connection initially from 10 years ago and then, oh, here's this other thing that happened. It's like, you're going to lean in that direction. I feel like, I don't know for sure, but, um,
0: but yeah. Well, people, I've seen people complain about like incorrectly calling it nepotism, but what they mean is like people basically only hiring within their little friend circle or whatever. And it's like, but that's, if you're going to spend nine months working on something, like you're not just going to hire this random person student person who you should give a chance because you should because they yeah. might fail on you they need to be people need to be tested and like the way that you you get tested yeah. well get tested everyone the way that you get tested is uh is you
1: um
0: do those do the smaller work you know yeah. build that body of work that shows you know what you're talking about which um i actually had read somewhere where you were talking about you were you would sit, you basically took a year basically saying yes to everything that came your right? way. You kind of mentioned it earlier, but yeah, um, yeah. You uh, the little thing that I, I wanted to touch on because because I had run into this problem recently was uh, sussing out who is dishonorable or not uh, someone you should work with. What what are some of those flags? Those red si- <laughs> red flags or signs that let you know I should I need to get the fuck out of here, no matter how like yeah uh, attractive that gig may be.
1: Yeah, uh, man, It, my, the, one of my favorite things. Because I also say yes to everything, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I mean, it, it can bring you some into some pretty cool situations that uh, got me where I was. But, you know, there were a lot of times where I did get kind of like directly screwed over where it, where it was like not getting paid or uh, someone taking an opportunity that I should have been a part of but wasn't. Um, this is like happened to countless times, you know? And I'm like, is it me? Like what's going on? Um, but I always try to just accept that as like, I felt bad for that person. Mm. Cause it's like, why did you feel the need to do that when we all kind of know, you know, what, what, what transpired and it's like, and how, how it took place. So I'm not the one that has to sleep, you know, fall asleep at night knowing that you know, or or be uncomfortable when we're in the same room or whatever. Um, I think the thing that I love about film so much is that it's so hard. It's so high stakes. It's like you find out who people are real quick, (laughs) you know, because I know a lot of people who are like, oh, this is my best friend. I like my girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever. And it's like, like you guys haven't been through anything yet like you have not been in a tough situation yet, like figuring out where you're gonna to go to dinner, what movie you're gonna see is not hard. You know, like um, you and I take on a gig, who knows, man, they might forget our flights, we get delayed, we're stuck in Canada, it's freezing, we have all this gear, you know, you just don't know. And it's the way that you and I are gonna handle that situation, how we behave in those tough circumstances. That's people show you who they are so fast. You know, so fast. Um, Oh, one thing I was watching is that um, it's something like Alice in Borderland on Netflix. And it was just, I watched- Someone recommended me that. I've heard that's Yeah. I didn't even watch it like in order. It just, I kind of had it on. And then there was an episode that I sat and watched and it was, um, they were like battling to the death. These two teams were competing. And one of the- this sort of like antagonist what he said was he said the best part about this is facing death you get to really meet someone like who they truly are and it's the same thing because everything is on the line so if it doesn't go our way how are you going to act how are you going to react and so those are that's what i look for in terms of the signs it's like if somebody's very selfish um if what their concerned is like, oh, but what about me, you know, uh, there, we did have a situation one time where, uh, the production company, uh, I think they just mismanaged their stuff and for some reason, like no one was getting paid. And then certain members were like, uh, oh, well, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? You know? And it, it's like, yeah, but, but our friends who are the producers, like are going to suffer way more than us. You know, um, stuff like that. Just, I, I understand that like totally because you've dedicated yourself to something and you will be directly affected. But I think it's good to think about others. And when you see that people aren't doing that, it's like, all right, <laughs> red flag, you know, look out for that. Um, and sometimes you'll just be blindsided. You know what I mean? Like I I had an instance where I did two seasons, uh, I shot, uh, of this show and we did uh it was a pilot for a new show and guy said oh my daughter's sick i go i gotta go get her and we're like oh no oh no you know and then just doesn't pay anybody and never saw him again oh and this wow and this is somebody who we worked with for two seasons of something else treated us very well always paid us was an awesome guy i don't know just happened. Like I'd never seen him, haven't seen him since. Um, we had a bunch of mutual friends. Um, they hit him up or like, hey, what's up, man? They're like he kept me doing that and he just kind of like, I don't know, he's just out there doing his thing. I don't even know if he, yeah, and if I ran into him, I don't know if he'd remember or anything, but it's just kind of crazy because it's like, you sometimes you just don't know and that's unfortunate, you know? But I think most of the time you do because you'll see just that they are mostly thinking about like how they benefit and not treating you a certain way and sometimes it's intentional and sometimes it's not and uh, I've also had to do that as well where kind of unintentionally you know it's, it's very much and you know I'm sure you've experienced this in the client world where it's like you pull off a freaking miracle dude like when you just deliver them <laughs> that should not have happened that it, it like all against all logic you know i'm sure you've delivered yeah. you know packages and you're just like yeah man and then it, it's sort of like cool yeah like wait that's it yeah <laughs> you know and like okay do it again it's like yeah jesus all right you know
0: the, the, the one that comes to mind that isn't too too intense but uh i did an interview thing and uh mm-hmm. LAPD or no um just a news helicopter there there we were right next to the freeway and there's a big accident that happened and so there happened to be a news helicopter 50 yards outside this window that we were we had to film next to and we had no, the sun was going down and we're using that as our main light cuz again this was like really fast and um i delivered pristine audio took me forever And they didn't even notice they were there. They were in the The guy delivered it to was in this, like in the room, like, is that going to be okay? And I just had to be like, yeah, what else are we going to do? Like, I can't say, no, it's not. We got to, we couldn't reschedule this thing. These guys are from out of town, you know? So it was just like, "Eh."
1: yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Right. Cause it's like, they don't know, but I guess, I guess that's our job, you know? And and you can't, I've
0: I've learned to stop telling clients like when something's really difficult because they don't care Yeah, they don't care and it's not their job to care mm-hmm. you know it's if you want them to feel bad for you you can do you can do that plenty of other ways you know <laughs> um,
1: yeah you really you really do have a lot to shoulder I think when you're doing these projects for sure well and, and something that you brought up that
0: you know talking about the way that people react to things I always try to impress upon people how important, like when, especially when people talk about film school, for instance, I kind of always say like, I would go to a regular ass college and get a degree, like, and get a degree, but take a bunch of other classes, get in trouble. Like, cause the, cause the, the way you react to certain things going wrong, uh, is, is kind of informed by how much you've had to deal with in life. Like if you've been to prison, Something bad going uh, going wrong, uh, probably won't peak your uh oh camera died. Oh, uh, Stop. probably yeah. Uh, probably won't um, you know, hit hit your. What am I trying to say? Won't max out your your response mechanism. You know, whereas if the worst thing that's ever happened to you is like, you know, someone broke up with you. Um, I think, yeah. It, if if you're stuck in Canada in the cold, you'll freak
1: out a lot harder than if you've had a lot <laughs> of experience, you know. Dude, I totally agree. I mean, I think. Um, let me see what's going on here, real quick. Technical issues. Oh, there we there you. go. Um, no, I, I I totally agree. Like, um, I I ended up in in. I went to a regular college. I went to Cal State Fullerton. Oh, so did my sister. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, the the jewelry? The jewelry one, yeah. Same sister. Oh, all right. Man. Uh, Yeah, I went there, and uh, I was just kind of there. I didn't know what I was doing. You know, they were like, you're supposed to be in college. All right, I'll go to college, I guess. Um, I was just kind of BSing around, like, trying to figure out what I wanted to do. So I just took entertainment communications, and then I took a film class and was like, oh, shit. You know Um, it was like a world cinema class and uh and uh i totally agree with you because a lot of what informs how i do things was just all of those experiences and stuff um all those things you've been through and you have to be able to i think bring your whole character into what you're doing you know um because it isn't just it isn't just theory it's application, it's your life experiences. And those are all the things that you can't replicate. You know, I think yeah. we were talking about before, like with the gear. It's like you're you're leaning on the gear to make it look like you're making something really nice. And something I noticed was like when they did that, it just emphasized more that the story or character sucked. And there was nothing there because it looked so good, but then there was nothing there. It was like shiny on the outside, but then there was nothing at its core, which is why I think um, awkward black girl actually struck a chord was because we were trying to have something in there and it it didn't maybe look super high end, but it was like, you you'll accept that, you know, if, if there's something beneath the surface kind of thing.
0: Yeah. The whoever I, I'm blanking on everyone. I always blank on whoever I just interviewed. I've had a few interviews this week, but uh, we were just talking about there's like a a triangle, there's the exposure triangle, but then there's the like filmmaking triangle of like good script, uh, looks good. And like, I don't know what the third one, maybe it was good sound or something, but like you you have to have two, you can't have one. So if it looks really (laughs) good, but yeah, the script blows, oh, acting, that's what it was. If the script blows and the acting sucks, but it looks good. People are going to hate it, but if the acting's really good and it looks good, but the script's okay, people will be like, well, you know, I was, I was drawn in, or if the script's amazing, but it looks bad and there's great acting, people are like, dude, I don't care if it looks like it was shot on a cell phone. Moonlight classic example,
1: you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, for sure. I feel like the visual is, it's funny saying this, but the least important, um, sound is more important. to me, to me <laughs> it's the most important it is it is man when you have bad sound it's just over with i can't you can't watch you can't listen to bad sound for a long time it's just crazy like i could if something looks bad it's like oh that looks bad whatever but it doesn't keep bothering me i'm just saying like, oh, i looks bad as long as it's consistent as long as yeah. if it if it's like it looks good then it looks bad that looks mediocre then it looks like shit then it looks amazing i hate that that drives me nuts but um yeah i could and it just becomes the aesthetic bad. if it looks
0: you know if it's shot on DV, the kids love DV right now. I'll tell you what. Oh, yeah. Uh, her early 2000s point and shoots are coming back hard. Really? Yeah, dude. That's the near I, right. You know how film photography like hit a lick real quick for the past like mm-hmm. five years or so? Now it's, I'm not even joking, like Canon power shots. Yo, yeah, oh, that's sick. <laughs> that <laughs> one in a shoebox somewhere. Bring it out and start putting that on TikTok.
1: Oh, I get go. a billion subscribers in a day. <laughs> I got to bust it out, dude. I just, I just bought, um, my my brother uh, Sam does a lot of film stuff, and uh, he he brought. We went to New York for the Harlem screening of my episode, mm-hmm. and uh, and so, so he did brought five his, and six, right? Um, six and six seven. seven, six. And I seven, did huh. five and yeah, I did five. It was weird because they paired five and six, but I did six, and a different director did five, and that same direct like a different director did the finale. Yeah, it got a little Man. a little crazy. That's television. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, six and seven, and uh, so he brought mm-hmm. it to bring mamiya. Uh, yeah, it was that—that that was the most important part. Uh, but yeah, he brought his mamiya, um, and and uh, I was when he was getting film. I was like, dude, what is that? And it was this, hey, hey, hey look like, that. this thing. Yeah. Oh man, there it is. This bitch is hard to bring around. Oh, <laughs> shit, man. It's so big. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, he had me take the. I was taking some photos, and it was like reverse. I was like, oh, that's the other hard one. I fall over. I feel like I'm drunk.
0: Yeah. Um, Makes you really dizzy to look in there. So satisfying to pull the trigger, though. Oh, my God. You're like, hold on. <laughs>
1: let's, get, let's
0: get some ASMR for let's hear this. Let's hear this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, okay. Hold on. Let's put this on. That's a good sound. Did it? Hold on. I'll, I'll do it for you. I think it might have uh, do it. noise reduced it out. Hold on. go. <laughs>
1: some <laughs> <a> good shit. <laughs> so, Yo, know, like, so at the at the um, photography spot uh, that he we went to this place in Chinatown, and they had uh, these disposable cameras. So I got this like Ilford disposable <gasps> black and white, dude. It, it was sweet. I just got it developed. It looks nice. Oh yeah, dude. No, I can. I got a bit. Lo- it's all like black and white. It's sick,
0: man. Yeah, like the HP Five disposals. Yeah, ST or something like that. Yeah, something like that. I can't remember. Those look great. I'm telling you, that was really surprised. The on camera—that's the thing that I think most people who are getting to like older, like, because I think people are into film and disposables and what I call party cams. I wrote a whole article in Pro Video about party cams. Um, Oh, dude, please send that to me. I got, got, got it. You know, yeah. Um, it's just the on-camera flash look. Everyone's like, cause I've, I've sp- spoken to, it was a, a coworker of my girlfriend's, uh, they're dance dancers, dance teachers. And she was like, I want a film camera. And when she was showing me all the photos she wanted to replicate, I was like, what you want is a camera with an on-camera flash. I can save you a lot of money. Like you don't need a, you know, or you buy an X100 to get the best of both worlds, but those fuckers are hard to get a hold of. But, um, yeah, those look good though. That's I think black and white in the disposable is like such a good idea.
1: It's cool. I, I've never done it. It's it's really cool. I I did. It. I Uh um, Yeah. I think uh, I started to do. Have you seen Nons? The Nons stuff that uses the Fuji film. Um. So check. it. So it's N O N S. It started as a Kickstarter, and it's a um instant camera. It uses the Fuji Instax. Okay. Um, but you can put thirty five. Mel on it. Oh, okay. It's oh, that's interesting. Cool. That's actually pretty... Yeah, it's pretty cool. Like, I was using uh, a Helios on it. A um, 44-1. Uh, yeah, yeah. I used that. I used um, some Leicas on it, some of those, like, Super Tacamar, um things. And, uh, yeah, man, it was cool. Like, it's... And it's instant, too. So, it's like... It's just like a... a a cool little, like, like you said, party, kind of like a party trick. Like, oh, here, look at this yeah. stacks thing. Uh, so it's fun. I'll try to take those on set.
0: Yeah. I, I actually have the Jeff Bridges uh, coffee table book where he uses, I think it's called the Instalux or the Wide Lux. Wide Lux. Oh. It's like a panoramic yeah. camera that he brings on set. And so there's these all these photos from, like, Tron, whatever, in this black and white, super wide. What? Uh, it's great. It's just called like photo Jeff Bridges photographs. I think there's like dude.
1: Th- I didn't know about that.
0: I got to check that out. It's all behind the scenes stuff too, like uh, wow. stuff from from uh um, what's the the with the dude? What oh uh, Big Lebowski. Big Lebowski. Big Lebowski. I kept. I'd like saying bowling for Columbine. I was like, no, <laughs> <laughs> um, that's not <laughs> it. Um, yeah, yeah. I I get uh, why yeah. though. Actually, uh, one thing that that now we're just kind of going off rails, but one thing I started doing uh, about five years ago um, is this guy had 3D uh, designed for 3D printing these little adapters that you can put on either side of a roll of 35 millimeter film, and then you can put it in the back of your medium format camera. So, you know, the imaging circle with a medium format lens is whatever, you know, that big, seven, seven centimeters across, whatever. And so the 35 millimeter strip goes all the way through the middle. So you end up exposing the entire negative It past the, the sprocket shots, uh, uh, sprocket holes. Um, the, the, the subreddit I, st- I started is called sprocket shots. But um, so I started printing those and selling them and you can buy them on eBay too. But I got permission from the guy who designed them to sell them. So no one else, oh, I gosh. guarantee <laughs> no one else did. Um, yeah, his name is on the easy. side of mine and stuff but uh, I'll send you some of those photos too because it's a very cool that's a party trick because every time you show someone that they think it's like an uh, overlay oh, because because okay, yeah, yeah. not only are you getting um, it's an interesting look and you also get to see what film you shot with because you know it goes past the sprockets but yeah, <laughs> because it's a much larger piece of film the, it lowers the grain perceptually you know, in the image that you're like, I'm sure if you print it out big as fuck, you know, but um, instead of a 24 by 28 or whatever 35 millimeter film is, it's, you know, four inches. Yeah. So it's like this division, wow. you know, it's a like 64, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, 65 millimeter film width. So oh it looks like, it looks like very fancy digital almost.
1: That's so cool. I got to show that to my brother
0: too. Oh my God. I'll will send you some if you live in town I'll just give you some uh, some of the adapters it
1: cost me five cents to print them you know oh shit okay cool damn benefits uh, of being in town yeah I know right <laughs> uh, well I
0: actually uh, have another interview coming up so I'm gonna have to yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I'll I'll, uh, okay. I'll DM you all that stuff but it was fucking rad talking to you um and me also too, con- congrats on Harlem like it show looks thank sick you. uh thank you.
1: thank you
0: Amazon Amazon it's on Amazon. <laughs> 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 Oh wait, oh, before I ask the same two questions, I got to ask you the questions. One. Uh, okay, I'll do it quick. I'll do, I'll do it yeah. quick if you got it. Well, other interview. Here we go. Not not in the next 5 minutes, but in, you know. Oh, okay. Um but uh first question, and this is weird with television shows, but whatever. Uh if you were to program a double feature with Harlem, what would the other program be? It can be a show, it can be a movie, it can compare, it can
1: contrast. Okay. Okay. Now, I didn't have an answer at first, but I got one now. So, um What I would do is I would pair specifically 207, uh, which is uh, the Girls Trip episode of Harlem that I directed, Mm -hmm. with Girls Trip, the movie, because Tracy, you know, she wrote Girls Trip. um, And it was really cool to be able to do like a TV episode of a Girls Trip episode, but with a different cast. And so I was able to do a little homage in there. There's like, I, I kind of like blocked the characters from Harlem in the same way that it is in the poster of Girl's Trip. And so that was really cool. And also just because I didn't know this, I found this out when we went to Sundance uh, and they brought Harlem there and premiered the first episode. Mm. Tracy was doing an interview and she said that she had actually written Harlem before Girl's Trip and nobody was into it. Um, and then she wrote, and then she wrote girl's trip. It became a huge success and then they wanted art. So it's like, you know, sometimes you can do something and it's at the time, it's not going to take off. You do another project where she used her own project as a proof of concept and like that it could work and then brought an older project. And then that became her new project. So, you know. You that's know. perfect. But that's what that's, I would do. <laughs> that's so perfect.
0: Uh, yeah, I should actually start asking about the specific episodes people have directed because I've always been like, well, it's a whole TV show, but uh, that's just good. Anyway, uh, second question. A lot of people always ask about, oh, what's like a piece of advice you have or, or a good piece of advice you got? I want to know what the worst piece of advice you got is.
1: The worst piece of advice? What's the worst piece? Just just about directing about or just anything yeah about let's say about filmmaking filmmaking in some capacity filmmaking um i think the worst piece of advice that i got was sort of in the vein of um just getting paid for what you do like always Mm. um i think that money's cool but um i don't love it like i know i need it and I I know I need it to survive and I know I need it to, to just exist, but it's not the driving factor of what I do. Um, and I don't think it's really that great for anybody if it is. I mean, there's always, it, it, you know, everything I've done, uh, there are other forms of currency and, uh, that's loyalty, it's creativity, it's, um, just being additive to a project. And I always just try to be wherever I go, make it better somehow, you know, and it, it, it doesn't even have to necessarily, you're not even exerting a bunch of energy, but if you just kind of work on yourself and you're comfortable in yourself, it's like you just being there makes it better. Cause it's, it's reassuring. It's like support. And so I think the, the worst advice was that like only do a job if you're getting paid, um, mm-hmm. I didn't get paid for Awkward Black Girl. Tracy didn't get paid. Issa didn't get paid. Um, but if you look where they're at now, <laughs> you know, it's like they're getting paid. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's like sometimes you got to do some, something you're passionate about with, without pay. Don't get taken advantage of. I think that's the breaking point. That's a threshold. But, you know, you don't always have to get paid. And there are other ways, you know, to get paid.
0: Yeah. The, uh, the more immediate one that I think of when i just thinking about getting paid is, uh, like if I ever do a job for a company and they say they have a low budget, oftentimes I'll ask if they can give me product instead. And oh, nine wow. times out of 10, they're like, Oh fuck. Yeah. So like if you, so I do a lot of work with this company, death and co they're a cocktail group. And Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm aware. Yeah. 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 And so like the first job we ever did, they're like, Hey man, like, thanks so much for doing this. But we agreed to the terms ahead of time, but they were like, "We don't have a lot of money for this. It's just kind of an idea." And I was like, "Well, if you guys will, you know, treat me to a night at your restaurant, I'll rack up some cash and I'll just, you know, tip the bartender." And they're like, "Fuck yeah!" Or like uh, <laughs> any, yeah, any like beverage company, product company. I did a job for Deity microphones, and oh, they were yeah, like, I "Love they, yeah, they're great." And so they were like, "Hey." We can pay you this much or we can give you some aperture lights. And I was like, actually, can I have a set of your because it's the same deity and aperture is the same company? And I was like, actually, I'm good on lights. Can I have those time code boxes that you guys make? And they're like, done. And so I actually got paid like a little more than they were planning on, plus the the time code boxes. And overall, that was more than I was going to get paid anyway. Um, so mean- look for those little things when you're doing, you know, more corporate shit. Invaluable. It's
1: invaluable, you know, amazing, cool man. Well, I'll uh, I'll let you go and uh, right, really. I'll DM you those things uh, right now. Yeah, please do. Yeah, let's catch up, or we'll connect for sure. All right, take care, man. Take care, peace.
0: Frame and Reference is an owlbot production, it's produced and edited by me, Kenny McMillan, and distributed by Pro Video Coalition. Our theme song is written and performed by Mark Pelly, and the F at r Mapbox logo was designed by Nate Truax of Truax Branding Company. You can read or watch the podcast you've just heard by going to provideocoalition.com or youtube.com slash owlbot, respectively. And as always, thanks for listening.